Action Church, welcome to uh, week four of the Ten Commandments. And uh, man, we've been having a great time. If you've missed uh, the first six commandments, uh, we did those last three weeks. And I would highly encourage you, if you call Action Church Home, to go check those out. Um, uh, Pastor Eddie at our Winter Park location said we've been having a lot of fun with Ten Commandments. I have not had any fun in the Ten Commandments, <laughs> but I'm really grateful for, for God's Word. I really believe that there are seasons in which we, we grow bigger as a church and wider with our outreach and with our song fest and our lights, camera, action. There's seasons in our church where we're called to grow in our depth. You cannot keep growing out and up if you don't continue to dig a foundation of depth in the truth of the Word of God. And so series like this, are never fun for us to preach or even to hear, but there's a conviction that happens, there's a refining that happens, there's a cultivating that happens in these series that makes us stronger believers, stronger Christians, and a healthier church. So we really have been having a good time in this series because I believe we're getting better uh, in Jesus. How many feel a little bit better after the three weeks? You don't feel better, but you know you're getting better. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, yeah, you're getting better. You don't feel better, you may not look better, but you're getting better in Jesus' name. Ten Commandments, uh, it's the start of the Levitical law uh, in the Old Testament where God, through his servant Moses, gave the people of God uh, instructions. But I wanna talk about just God's standard real quick. Our theme verse, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, says, we know, everybody say no. no. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he says or commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. We've been saying this every week that, that we should look different. Like if we, if we meet Jesus, again, Christianity in this series is not about what we can do to get to God. That is not the game, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves in saving us by dying on the cross and being risen to a new life. But if and when we receive Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, we should look different. Like our life should begin to line up more and more with God's standard, with God's structure, with his truth. It says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So it's not just an outward uh, expression. Our life should look differently because we're called to be witnesses. We're called to represent this gospel that we've received and that we preach. So it should make a difference outside to, to obey his commands. But it's saying right here that as we obey his commands, as we're led more by the Holy Spirit, that, that love for God is truly made complete in them. So it's complete in us as well. So it does something on the outside and on the inside. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, that we're called to look more and more like Jesus. God gave the people of Israel this law, starting with the Ten Commandments. Why? Because they've been in captivity for 430 years. Their grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents were all slaves. They did not know how to live on their own. They did not know how to be their own people. They did not know how to follow God and live correctly because they had been under a different uh, uh, um, slavery, a different regime, a different way of living, different gods. And so he was not telling them what they couldn't do. What I'm saying basically is that God's law is for us, not against us and that God's laws are never restrictive, but protective. It's a father giving us instruction of how to live. We've been having some fun, if you've been with us three weeks, talking about how God's laws are better than man's laws. If you haven't gotten anything out of this series, you know that God's ways are higher than our ways, God's laws are better than man's laws, because we've been finding some of the most ridiculous state laws that you can find. I found four more, you ready for them? They're gonna be fun. 
Everybody's nervous today, Pastor Ray. They're nervous here. They're like, wait, we're talking about, you've read ahead. You've read ahead on the 10 Commandments and you're like, where are we going? We're, yeah, we're gonna get to adultery and stealing in just a second. But, but before we get there, let's talk about how dumb some of our laws are. Ohio, operators of underground coal mines must provide an adequate supply of toilet paper with each toilet. Again, a good suggestion, but a bad law. Like, is that a misdemeanor? Like, am I getting cited? And if so, every husband in here would be cited frequently for not replacing the toilet paper. Anybody else? It just, I don't understand why I have to go through extra steps. Like, just, it's just, if it's anywhere in the bathroom, it's useful. You know what I mean? Like, I don't under, so much judgment in this room right now. I had a lot more moral support first service from all the husbands. I guess we have a bunch of really, really, yeah, moving on. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, it is unlawful to wrestle a bear. Now, that's not a good idea, and I'm convinced. I'm on this kick right now where I'd like to find what animals I think that I could take with my bare hands. And grizzly, no way. Kodiak, no way. But maybe a Florida black bear, you know, one's a little hungry. Like, they, they eat, like, fruit and berries. I feel like I could go and just, I feel like if I surprised it or if I was protecting, like, my son Kingston or Bentley from their for imminent death, I feel like with my bare hands I could choke that thing out. And so... It's neither here nor there. <laughs> Texas, Texas, it is illegal in Galveston, Texas, just Galveston, not the whole great state of Texas, illegal in Galveston, Texas, to throw litter out of your aircraft. <laughs> like, how did that happen? Like, somebody just had, like, a Domino's, and they got done, and they just threw the box out the window, and it hit somebody? Like, what? I just, how did we get here? You ever ask that question? Just, how did we get here? Utah, my favorite one today, hurling a missile into a bus terminal is a felony. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Unless, unless you're an appointed officer of the peace. You gotta have a permit for that missile that you're gonna launch into a bus terminal. God's laws are better than man's laws. The, the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Bible is broken up into two different sections, the Old Testament uh, and then the New Testament. The Old Testament, a lot of times referred to as the law, and then Jesus enters the scene through the Gospels, and we see the law fulfilled through Jesus. Well, the, the, the law, or the Ten Commandments for our time together today, is like a mirror. We've talked about this every week, but you need to see this. It's, it's a mirror, and the law, the Ten Commandments, the uh, God's standard shows us where we fall short. When you look in a mirror, you see everything that's wrong with you, and the law shows us where we fall short, our uncleanliness, our, our dirtiness, where we've made mistakes. But I need you to hear very clearly, we've talked around it, but the law, or doing better, or obeying the Ten Commandments cannot clean you to a standard in which God would still accept you. The law, the mirror cannot clean you like only water can clean you, and the, the law cannot clean you, uh, spiritually speaking, only the blood of Jesus can, can, can cleanse you. And so to be really clear, the law exposes where we fall short, but we need Jesus and then ultimately the power of the Holy Spirit to actually live different. The Ten Commandments don't take our freedom, they provide it. Last thing is the first four are God-centered. The last six, which we're in now, are people-centered. And I need to remind you that you cannot live appropriately or in, a, in a, uh, a positive way with people until you fix the God thing. God is, is writing to his chosen people saying, hey, we gotta get this relationship right before we get any of these relationships right. In fact, the, the, the next six that we're in right now are not possible unless you get the first four right, which would mean be in right standing with a relationship with God. So with that context, 
Let's jump in to the really fun topics. Verse 14, you must not commit adultery. Okay. I think, you know, practically speaking, we could just leave it there and, uh, and move on to uh, you must not steal. No, I, I prepared. We're going to talk about it. Uh, both, of these, um, both of these things go together because they involve you taking something that was given to someone else. And they're both selfish. They're both elevating you over someone else, that what I want, what I desire, what I need is more important than your feelings, your future, just who you are as a person. But you don't, you don't just find yourself, you don't just find yourself in adultery. Adultery starts in your thoughts. And too many of us, when it comes to purity or boundaries inside of a marriage, we have physical boundaries, but we don't have mental boundaries. So we're good with the physical boundaries, and we'll talk about those a little bit later, but our thought life is messed up. And I want you to put this on the screen, team. Write it down if you're taking notes. Every thought you don't take captive could eventually hold you captive. The Bible says take our thoughts captive. So we, we have a thought and we need to put it against God's word and then remove it, hold it captive. Don't, don't, don't dwell on it. If we do not hold it captive, eventually that thought when it comes to temptation or our purity or this topic of adultery could hold us captive. Here's the, here's the way it progresses. I would never do that, Pastor. This is, you are wasting the next 15 minutes of my time. I would never be there. Well, nobody ever planned to be there. Everybody starts with, I would never. Then, in our thought life, those, those tempting thoughts or those desires become normal because we didn't take them captive. And there's a numbness that happens. What used to be way off limits is now fine. And we begin to move the line a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And then we start to rationalize those thoughts and those decisions. And almost all adulterous affairs start with these two words, I deserve. I deserve somebody better. I deserve somebody who listens. I deserve somebody who pays attention. And it started with a thought and now we're in a lifestyle that's separating us from maybe our family and from, from God's standard. We say it this way, thoughts... Thoughts produce actions. You don't take that thought captive. It will produce an action in your life. Your actions turn into habits. What used to be just every once in a while is now a habit. This is across the board. Then our habits determine our character. You are not what you say. You are what you consistently do. Your habits produce your character. And your character ultimately will produce your destiny. But it starts with a thought. Not held captive. Not cast out. Not thrown away. That's just dwelled on. And a no to adultery, write this down, a no to adultery requires a yes to purity. A no to adultery requires a yes to purity. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're gonna talk about boundaries and safeguards for a moment. And it's gonna feel, it could feel a little restrictive. Like I, it's very much like a, a, I feel like a parent today, even though I'm younger than, than some, if not most of you. Um, yeah. Um, 
It's gonna feel restrictive, but, but it's not. And a lot of things you're gonna say, well, pastor, I don't have to do that. And you're right. A lot of things we're talking about with these boundaries, it's not sinful if you don't have these guardrails or these boundaries. It's just not smart if you don't have them. You could, but just because you could do something doesn't mean that you should do something. First Corinthians 10 says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. The new King James said, uh, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Let me kind of boil it down. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And we need guardrails. We need safeguards. We need standards. I, we need standards because standards equal success. And if we don't have proper standards, we will fall. If we put ourselves in tempting situations long enough, eventually we will fail. Be very clear. Temptation is not a sin. The Bible's very clear. Jesus was tempted, and yet he was without sin. Temptation is not a sin, but temptation is a step towards it. So why would we continue to put ourselves in tempting situations? First Corinthians says this, uh, put on the screen team, talks about how to get out of these situations. It says flee, everybody say flee. flee. Say run. run. Yeah, run from sexual morality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Whatever sins sexually sins against their own body as well. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He's with Potiphar's wife and she seduces him, tries to, uh, to uh, have sex with him and then he, he flees, like he says he runs. He leaves his cloak. So basically he's like, she's like ripping his clothes. He's like, you can have my clothes, I'm out of here. And this is just a good purity principle for singles. If you're single in here and you're, you're struggling with this with your, with your partner, your significant other, just run. Like, just go. I'm out of here. I'm gonna take a lap. And here's the thing. One, run away from the situation. But if you're struggling with sexual temptation, just go for a run. Go sprint as fast as you can, as far as you can. Guess what you won't want to do anymore? Anything. That's not biblical. That's just practical. I'm exhausted. I need a bottle of water, a shower, and a nap. And now you're good. You're good. Just save some people right there. It's just helpful. It's just good preaching. You're welcome. You're welcome. We need, we need standards. Here's, here's a few. Here's a few. And again, they may all apply to you. They may some of them apply to you, but I think they're all helpful. They will help, help set you up for success. They will keep you as far away from the line as possible. Here's a few. Avoid compromising situations. If you're married in here, avoid compromising situations, a situation in which stupid could be one step away. We say it all the time, actually. We are all one step away from stupid. So stay out of stupid situations, which would be quality time with the opposite sex who's not your spouse. Like, just make some good decisions. Intimate conversations. Complaining about your spouse. All safeguards. Don't do it. It's not a good idea. Say, Pastor, I can't have friends to the opposite sex. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying, why would you have a friend of the opposite sex that is not also in relationship with your spouse? Like, what, what, what's, what's the purpose? Well, we've been friends for a long time. Great. Why, 
why is it separate from this relationship? If there's nothing wrong with it, why are you hiding it? Well, I'm not hiding it, but I'm just, it's, it's a different relationship. No, there is no other relationships. There's this one, and then there's everything else. And if they're not for both of you, so I'm not saying you can't, I'm just asking why. And you may have a great answer, and it may be great for your family. Again, I'm not all in your business. I'm just trying to put some safeguards in place. This one sounds a little counter-Christian, but some safeguards, if you're married, don't pray with somebody who's not your spouse of the opposite sex. So what, what do you mean? That's why our, our prayer team and our pastors and leaders, we don't pray with people of the opposite sex. Why? It's one of the most intimate situations you can be involved in, interceding for somebody spiritually on their darkest day, their deepest secret, their biggest faith. What they're believing for is a connection in which should not be experienced with somebody who's not your spouse. That's why we encourage our couples who are not married to pray for each other, but never with each other. And then we get emails every time. Save your emails. We do, we're not changing our mind. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna read it. I'm just gonna send it, return to sender. I'm actually gonna reply with return to sender so you know that I read it and I'm not replying to it. Because there's a spiritual connection. There's a spiritual soul tie that happens. And I'm not saying it's sinful. It's not sinful to pray with somebody you're engaged to or you're dating. That's not a sin. I'm saying it's not smart because we're gonna connect on a level spiritually that now our physical bodies want to catch up with. It's just not a smart decision. So if you're doing it, am I saying you're living in sin? Absolutely not. I'm just saying you're not living in smart. (laughs) And that you're setting yourself up for a possible fall. Again, temptation is not a sin, but it's a step towards it. I think the enemy has taken some spiritual things that are great, but out of context and out of time could set you up to fail. We've just seen it. There's some things that we need some safeguards in. We need to make sure that we're not seeking approval from somebody else and how we look and how we dress and and our success, our affirmation. And obviously we need accountability on our phones and our tablets and our computers that there not be any pornography or anything that would cause us to to step outside of the the context of marriage. Just, just Just some safeguards, some boundaries. I wanna talk for just a moment. This is in auditoriums of this size at Winter Park and Sanford, Oviedo and South and worshiping online. That this is an issue that would have hit dozens if not hundreds of families throughout your time, whether it be your own marriage or a marriage in your family or a friend. I wanna talk about what, what happens if it's already happened, if trust is broken. Well, we would love to be a part of that process any way that you would allow our location pastors, our staff pastors, counseling. We do believe that, that God can restore a marriage even after trust has been broken through adultery. That God can. We've seen it dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times. But what God can't do is he cannot change a person's free will. That is what he gave us. He created us as humans and gave us what no other creation has, a free will. So if God cannot change somebody's free will, neither can you and me. So here's some steps to healing. And I wanna talk to the offender, if you will, for a moment, and what you should look at 
if you are the offended. What happens? We made the, this mistake in our life. Well, first thing, there has to be recognition. If there's gonna be healing, there has to be recognition of the sin. There has to be responsibility taken. This was my decision. This was my error in judgment. There has to be repentance. Well, that means biblically, you're going one way and you make a decision to do a 180 degree turn and you're going back a different way. It's what you and I do when we come to know Jesus. We repent from our, our way of sin and we return, we, we, we turn around and follow him. There needs to be repentance in the relationship if there's gonna be steps towards healing. But you gotta catch this part. There's gotta be recognition, responsibility, repentance. You gotta catch this one. There's gotta be a fruit of repentance. There's gonna be healing, there's gotta be fruit of repentance. And this is a seasonal thing. You cannot harvest a crop right away. So the healing's planted with recognition, responsibility, and repentance. But you cannot grow a healthy relationship until there's fruit of repentance, which means there needs to be seasons of change. Anybody is gonna be sorry and shameful for a week or two. You need to make sure that there is real change. Because make no mistake about it, Habitual adultery is abuse. And we want a place to have healed and whole marriages because we allow God to bring about repentance and fruit of repentance and then restoration. If you are the offended in here, you've walked through this painful season, you need God. There's things that the Holy Spirit can give you that we can't. You need counseling. You need to dive into what happened to you emotionally in the mental health journey to actually heal from what happened. And then you need to catch this, you need a healthy support system. Not just a support system, a healthy support system that will point you back to God's word and God's best and make sure that the steps you're taking are towards God and towards his best for your life. And I need you to hear very clearly, we are not experts and this is not a broad brush. Every situation is different but we would love to, as a church, walk through even the toughest times with, with you and your family. Stay away from it, but if you're already in it, we believe that God could still do something great in the individuals and in your life, but you've got to take some steps. Now with adultery, open up stealing. <laughs> I feel like I need like a, I need like a halftime. You know what I mean? Like I feel like, like, yeah, a little intermission, maybe a little snack, maybe some calories. Eddie has said some, some biscuits and peanuts here in our service here. I don't know if that is. That's like a Hispanic thing or what, but <laughs> never had those together. Maybe some peanut butter on a biscuit. That sounds pretty good. Stealing. Don't steal. <laughs> Ephesians. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Stop it. <laughs> but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. We all steal. I'm gonna get to some really practical stuff in a minute, but just having a little fun. We've, you ever found like a $20 bill? You're like, man, that's a blessing. Thank you, God. That's not a blessing. You watched that $20 fall out of that man's pocket. Man, God, won't he do it? Thank you, God. Or you ever done it like this, where you kind of fake, like you get it, sir, 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 sir. Oh, he didn't hear me, he didn't hear me. 
Or they give you too much change back. You know, you get somebody at the cashier that just cannot do math, like they don't math good, and like they give you back like more money than you gave them, and you're like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Stealing. Come on, we all do it. 7-Eleven, sip stealers. That's you, big gulp, drink half of it. It's not free refills. And why are we need a refill? It's a 48 ounce cup. Literally diabetes in a cup, and we're just, I love soda, so I'm a sip stealer. I really am. But we rationalize it. No, just, I was making sure the carbonation in the syrup was good. It's a taste test. Not a thief, I'm a taste tester. Come on, I've seen you. Come on, I've seen you with your water cup and your Sprite in it. Water don't bubble, bro. There's no Pellegrino in that. No Perrier, no bubbly. Stealing. Some of you are so bold now. I used to do Sprite because I was a little, you know, little good Christian, little Baptist boy in Birmingham. It was Sprite for me. But now people just walk around with Pepsi, Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, just, just saying, he is, I, I, I have no ethics. I am of low character and low standards. I came straight from church, and now I'm stealing from Panera. Just to be clear, Panera deserves it. My, my kids love Panera, and I go there, I gotta order, I gotta grab my own food, my own drink. When I get done, I clean up my own plate. I'm working for them once a week with no training. And they have the audacity to put tip, I'll give you a tip, take this off there. And either train me and compensate me or somebody work around here. Just paid $11 and all you did was put my mac and cheese in a microwave. I'm gonna get my water cup and drink all the Dr. Pepper I want. There are some areas in our life in which we, in which we steal. Let's get serious for a second. The Bible says to, uh, to render under Caesar what is Caesar. Some of us are stealing on our taxes. I really shifted that to a different gear. <laughs> I like the Panera guy better. No, quit stealing. And I'm not talking about good stewardship. I'm not talking about creative ideas. I'm not talking about using a system that was created. I'm just talking about, you know what I'm talking about. You're stealing. You're stealing and you're, you're saying, well, they don't deserve it. They're gonna misuse it. Well, Rome was in control of the Jewish people, like they were taken over. It was a, they were not together. It was not a democracy. They had no choice. And Jesus still said, render under Caesar what is Caesar. So we should do well to, to be good citizens and, and pay taxes. It got so quiet. <laughs> the next thing we're doing, we're not just stealing from Panera. We're not just stealing from the, the government. Come on, some of us are stealing from God. If you are a Christian and you are not giving, you are stealing. It's tough. But the Bible talks more about money than anything else. Why? God doesn't need your money. Like when that bucket passed earlier and like you're still sitting on that 20, God's not like, I don't know what we're gonna do at Action Church. I just, you know, Billy on the seventh row, he didn't give today. Holy Spirit, he did not give today. Did you see him? I don't know what we're gonna do. I think we have to take out a loan. We have to refinance. 
No, he created everything from nothing. He doesn't need it. He talks about it, not because he needs it, but because you need it. Because there's not a more practical way to say you trust God than giving him what honestly is already his. It's the biggest game of make-believe ever to think that you earned it or you deserve it because you didn't create yourself with the gifts and talents that you have. And yet we, we, we steal, and it's not my opinion, it's, it's, it's in the Bible. Malachi 3, will a mere mortal rob God? Question, yet you rob me. But you ask, we ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That there's just a principle in the earth that if we take care of God's house, he takes care of our house. If we put him first, he blesses the rest of it. And this verse right here in verse 10 is something that, that I have preached, that I have lived and I have seen and I've never seen God fail at one time. It is a principle in the earth that generosity produces good things. There is sowing and there is reaping. That's not just a, a, a Christian principle. That is a law in the earth that when you give, your world increases. I've never met an angry, generous person. Just never have. Oh man, I hate giving. No, never. But I've met some really angry, greedy people. And you may be saying, Pastor, I don't believe it. That's, I think that's why God gave us this verse. I, I don't believe that God will do it. He says right here, test me. There are very few scriptures in which God says, you don't believe me? Just try it. Try and prove me wrong. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'm just here to tell you, when you give God access to everything, there's blessing. And we're gonna talk about it as we get into our expansion series. We don't talk about it a lot here, a few times a year. When we talk about this tithing, it's not a generosity thing at first, it's an obedience thing because you can't even be generous until you've returned to God what's already His. You cannot be generous with somebody else's money and the first 10% isn't yours, it's God's. Pastor, I'm generous elsewhere. No, you're just renaming God's money and giving it somewhere else. Got quiet in here. we should wrestle with it. In a world that says accumulate, hoard, make much of you, we should wrestle with the fact that we're called to make much of God. And it's not what we have that will be our legacy, it, it is what we give. It's not just a money thing, it's a talents and abilities, it's a gifts thing. Everybody say gifts. Some of us are stealing, we're robbing the gifts that God gave us. God gave you the gifts that you have to be used for His glory, for His kingdom. And yet we prioritize everything but. Matthew 13 says this, we'll close with, with this scripture. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. In his joy, once he found the kingdom of God, once he found fulfillment, once he found the things of God, a relationship with God, the calling and the plans and the purposes, he went out full of joy 
Not reservation, not, oh, I don't know if I should, not, God, why are you demanding this? Once he found the key to everything, once he found the kingdom of God, he went and sold everything he had just to buy the very thing that was of ultimate value to him. And yet we, we give these gifts away to everything but God. How many of you, uh, how many of you love to receive gifts? Anybody? A few. How many of you love to give gifts? Oh, a generous room. Or lying. We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> um, I love, I love giving gifts. I, I don't love receiving them as much, and I'm not trying to like brag about how righteous I am, but you know, it's a pretty good thing to do. <laughs> it's better to give than to receive. Uh, I don't like opening gifts in front of people because there's so much expectation. Um, but I love, I love giving things, intentional things, special things, memorable things, you know, uh, whatever it may be. And you, you give somebody maybe a, a, a great bottle of wine or a, a decorative feature, something that's gonna go in their home, beautiful. You go and you see it, and then a few weeks later you come back to their house and it's not there anymore. Hey, where'd that picture go? What? Where'd that centerpiece go? Where, where'd that thing that I just gave you, where'd it go? And they kind of get, oh, you, get, you gave me that? Yeah, Bob, I was just here. It's like, oh, I, I gave it away. There's nothing worse than when you save and you intentionally give somebody something and then they re-gift it. When they wrap that thing up like it was theirs and they give it away. But spiritually speaking, we are stealing from God and we are re-gifting the gifts he gave us when we say, God, I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna take the, the, uh, the gratitude that should go to you for the gift that you gave me. I am gonna pretend that this is my own gift. This is my own money. This is my own success. I'm now gonna own this and I'm gonna give it to, away to something else, to my bank account or to my notoriety or to my kids. We use the gifts that God gave us for his kingdom and for his glory and we use it to build up our own kingdom and our own glory and we steal the very things that God gave us to be a part of his kingdom and we re-gift them for something that is counterfeit and not even real. We're re-gifting the gifts because we want to take the glory, my thing. So we're not just stealing the gift, we're stealing the credit. And we steal the credit, we steal the opportunity to connect them to Jesus. As we say, this is my thing, no, no, this is his thing. This is his resource, this is his talent. This is his gift. This is his thing he gave me, not to own, but to leverage, not to own, but to use for his glory. So here's, to put a bow on it, adultery and stealing. Stop living to please yourself. Live to please God. It says this in the book of Corinthians. I said we were gonna close with the other verse, but this is a, it's like a Pentecostal service today. There's four closes. Well, my second close. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. Christ died for all so that those who live would not continue to live for themselves. See, that's the difference. All this stuff is counterintuitive. Pastor, I wanna live how I want. I don't want those boundaries. I don't want those safeguards. Well, God's saying it doesn't matter because your life is not your own anymore. 
Pastor, I wanna, I wanna keep and I wanna use and I wanna do this. Well, that's just not the game. It's, it's called surrender for a purpose because we surrender our life to him. We don't live for ourselves anymore, we live for God. He died for us and was raised from the dead so that we, we would live for him. And when we make that decision, everything I gave you today is great steps, is great next steps. But when you make the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, it allows you to begin to take those steps with ease because it's not a have to, it's a get to. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I wanna give that opportunity right now to, to surrender. Well, some of you, it's for the first time ever. ever. Others of you, it's, it's a recommitment, but we've heard it clearly today that Jesus lived, he died, he was resurrected to new life so that you could no longer live for you, but live for him. What do you have to do? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and surrender being your posture of saying, God, have control of my life, control of my marriage, control of my finances, control of my thoughts, because I'm giving you all of me. If that's you today, say, I wanna make that decision. Here at Winter Park, at Sanford, Oviedo, South Orlando, or worshiping online, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm surrendering my, my will to his will. I got one, two, three, four, I got you right there. Five, man, yeah, proud of you. Six, seven over here. A few more in the stadium. Sanford, and South, and Oviedo. Oh, right there in your living room. Surrounded by friends and family. Got a couple more in the back here, proud of you. you put your hands down. Would you pray this in your heart? As I pray it out loud, say this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. Today I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. Jesus, have your way. Thank you for saving me. And God, I pray for all of us. I pray that there'd be a, a healthy conviction in our spirits today. Now we're gonna make some practical changes. Not because we have to, because we get to. You've set us free, you've, you've changed us. So I pray that we would change our posture towards purity, towards generosity. Holy Spirit, we just, we declare today that you have access to, to change and convict, to move us, to shape us, to look more like Jesus. We're gonna be a, a group of people at Action Church that, that allows God's love to be complete in us because we're gonna seek Jesus and seek to live a life, standards, character, purity in Jesus' name. We love you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody at Action Church said amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate all the decisions? Come on, we are so proud of you.